There was a, a, a gentleman once unsubscribed from my newsletter and sent me a, a real, like a two page essay. Mm. And he said, you know, like you're, you're a thoughtful, smart guy, but I got to get off this newsletter because I just think you think too much. Mm. <laughs> you overthink things. And I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> I think that um, one way to think about that is that I think you do that probably to keep yourself safe. Mm. And so perhaps the way to break the cycle is to ask yourself, what is it that I'm afraid of? What's the threat? And I think that, you know, to go back to it, the threat is that you'll have died and you won't have mattered and therefore won't be remembered. I think that um, you can never know actually what forces you've set in motion by your mere existence. And so ultimately you cannot ever be sure that you have impacted the world the way you want to impact the world. You kind of have to let go of the need to have it all figured out in order to just actually live your life. I think that's what that subscriber slash unsubscriber was saying in a sense. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. My mom died nearly 15 years ago on a Sunday morning in December of 2005. She was 52. And I remember that morning with crystal clarity. I can see the blue of the sky and the brightness of the sun, and feel the chill of the mid-December Ohio air. And I can hear the sound of her last breath, and I can see the look on her face as life left her body. I can remember this incredibly odd and powerful mix of emotions that arose within me, a combination of deep sadness, anger, grief, shock, love, warmth, and even appreciation, which all seemed to come together into what felt like a paralyzing numbness. And in that moment, all the things that she held and all the stuff that made up her home and her life and all the things that made her world went from being hers and part of her life to just things. And all the moments where she worried or felt guilty or felt not good enough or felt happy or loved or alive, all of them and her experience of them too, they went poof. One moment, a life. The next moment, stuff and people left behind. So at the end, what matters? And I'm not sure I know. But what I do know, what I am certain of, that for me, for you, is that we too will have a moment like my mom had. It may be soon, or hopefully it's not for a long time, but it is coming. So when it's all said and done for you, what will have mattered in your life? What will endure after that last breath beyond the things you'll leave? And how will you know your life and presence was important? I really have to say that there are many times where I feel a great deal of stress and fear that ultimately what I do and how I am, it won't matter enough. I fear I'm taking more from this world than I'm giving to it. Does anyone really feel the importance of my being and my work? 
Would these podcasts just be better if we went right to Jerry and skipped my stories? Would Reboot and my partners, my colleagues, the work that I do, would it all just be better if someone else was doing it? And do I matter enough for my family? The fear and the doubt lead to a frenetic energy and a yearning and a drive to push ahead or obsess about the past so much that I struggled to be here. But yet again, my mom is here to teach me a lesson. In that final breath, when her time came in her meat suit, as Jerry calls it, came to a close, so much remained. And perhaps she too wondered if she was doing enough at times to matter in her life and in this world. But there's no question to me. She mattered just about as much as anyone could to me. And what endures is the moments and memories of her presence. The moment she was there and with me. The walks on the beach, the wiffle ball pitching sessions, the walks in the woods, the lessons on the stars, the support when I cried from skinned knees to lost girlfriends. She was there with me and I felt it. She let me know that I truly mattered. And I know with certainty that she mattered and matters greatly to me. Her presence is everything to me. Still, and in my stress to do more and be more important and make sure I, I have a real impact, I can often find myself listening to a podcast at one and a half or two times speed while I'm trying to rock my two-year-old daughter to sleep, all in the hopes of picking up a new idea or a thing that will cement my impact, that will ensure that I matter. And yet instead of looking down, I'm ignoring the one thing that will endure, my presence with this being in the beings who mean the world to me, my presence in the present. Be here now, I must remind myself. That is all we have. That is all that matters. And that is what will endure on the final breath. Kay He is certainly one of our more popular podcast guests in our 100 plus episodes. In his first conversation with Jerry, he discussed his deep fear of death and ultimately how it drove him to optimize his life, to run from it. And we're fortunate to have him return again in another conversation. And this time, despite making huge life changes to live the life he dreams of and dreamed of, a life of equanimity, he finds himself lost in the guilt and the fear of not doing enough to matter, of not doing enough to have an impact. And like me, perhaps there is an opportunity to let go of what might be ahead and focus on what is here. Are you looking to stay up to date on all things Reboot? Join our mailing list to receive updates on the podcast, including our most recent episodes, corresponding blog posts, and updates on exclusive Reboot services and events. Head to Reboot.io slash sign up. Well, hello there, my friend. How are you? It's good to see you again. It is so good to see you. Why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Kay He. I am the father of Soraya and Amelie, two little girls, husband to Lisa, and uh, creator of a blog called Rad Reads. Mm. And Rad Reads is a, is a blog that's trying to answer the question of how to live an examined life. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of played with that through different angles. And mm -hmm. I've been doing that for three years. 
Mm. Prior to that, 15 years working on Wall Street. Mm. And uh, I just, since since the last episode, we, I, we had our second child, Amelie, and we recently moved to Los Angeles. So I am ah. broadcasting from Manhattan Beach, California. Uh, you know, I, I hadn't tracked that. I think the last time we talked to you, living in Brooklyn. I was, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. And, and how, are you, how are you finding L.A.? So far, so good. It's been week four. Mm-hmm. So we are totally in flux, mm. um, but it's been, it's been, it's been fun. You know, I, I say that my wife and I, Lisa, tend to do better when we're a little bit off center, mm. not too far. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted to keep the family adventures going. We, as you know, after I quit, we traveled a bunch. Mm-hmm. And the reality of two, you know, of two school age or approaching school age kids kind of settled in mm-hmm. and hit us. And so we said, what's the next family adventure? Well, let's move. Let's move within the United States. That was how far we could push it. No homeschooling, none of that stuff yet. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Not yet. Well, that's great. And it's great to have you back. Eh? And, and it's, it's, you know, as we were talking before we started uh, recording, our first conversation really landed well with people. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, it's a, it's a prime example of when we show up, uh, and really work with our own stuff, but in a way that allows the community to participate, then something really powerful starts to shift and, and it allows other people to show up. So we just want to acknowledge that and honor that and, and really thank all of the people who I know have reached out to each of us, both of us, over the last year since we broadcast that episode um, to say thank you yeah. uh, to and us for speaking. So tell me something, uh, what, what would be helpful to talk about now? And tell me, yeah. tell me what's going on for you and what would be helpful to talk through? Yeah, um, I could, maybe I'd start, um, I'd start with just like setting up like what has happened since our last conversation. Sure. And then kind of where that, where that leads, uh, leads us. And, Mm. and you know that so much of the last talk was about the fear of death. And, you know, I was just starting to come to terms with that, something that I hadn't really, that I had internalized, but hadn't verbalized for like 35 years. And, you know, I've kind of just, I've kind of just swam and hung with that fear. And I probably, I'm that, I'm that buzzkill guy at the cocktail parties. Like, what are you thinking about? What are you working on? Um, and so there, there's this calmness there. And, and I'm saying that to just like set it up a bit. And um, professionally, when we spoke like 18 months ago, I didn't really know what I'm doing. And uh, that was also a source of stress. And now it's kind of taken its a life of its own, and there's more confidence around the types of work that I'm doing. I'm writing a lot. I'm doing a little bit of coaching with people's relationship with money, mm. uh, a little bit of speaking, a little mishmash of the solo mm. entrepreneur's life. Mm. And that's enabled us to like make this big family move and mm. this thing that I've one of my lifelong dreams: mm. wake up and surf every morning. Mm. And I thought I'd have to wait till I was 60 years old to do that. Mm, mm. And now every morning, sunrise in the ocean. Mm. And so 
you would think that like things are going awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and, and there is a calmness and equanimity, uh, the word that, that I learned from you mm. since then, but here's the, here's the thing <laughs> mm. with that. There's a, there's a few words that come to mind as I kind of reflect on, on life. Um, guilt, mm. uh, indulgence, indulgent Mm. and kind of like responsibility. Like what is your responsibility? Mm. You're being mine. And, and these are, you know, it's the, it's the internal, it's the internal suffering and angst. Um, I would say, you know, I heard Brene Brown use a phrase, low grade anxiety. Mm -hmm. That is, is this, is this indulgent? Like, is like the thing that you wanted 20 years in the future to have it today, is that indulgent? And what, what, you know, what responsibility do I have as someone with a tremendous amount of privilege and financial resources and time to, to be giving back? Like, what do I owe? What do I owe others? What do I owe um, for kind of the gifts that I've been that have been bestowed upon me? So the the, the low grade anxiety, the what else should you be doing? The what responsibility do I have as someone with the privileges that I have? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the relationship between those questions and the and the pursuit of equanimity, and then against the backdrop of fear of death Mm -hmm. what's that relationship Kate? so it's almost it's funny how how quickly the pendulum can switch swing Mm -hmm. where 18 months ago like i'm telling you about these nightmares about about the infinite nature of time and being a speck in this universe and then it, today I'm telling you, you know, I was, I was sitting in the ocean and I'm like, you know, there weren't a lot of waves. So I was like, is this really the thing that I just, <laughs> is this the thing that I wanted? And, and then, and then it goes a step further and it's like, you bastard, you can't be happy no matter what. <laughs> um, and so, so that's, that's what, one thing it's like, it's like, wow, like UK have, committed your life to figuring out what brings you equanimity like hey is that just is that okay like who 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 gets the opportunity to do that and then b you given the opportunity and you're still you're still finding fault like something could be better like one more knob could be tweaked and so one more hack yeah i think it's a little bit less uh of hacks and maybe they're related, but it's like, it's like one more optimization, right? One more optimization in order to feel what? In order to feel like you could be perfectly content at every, at every point in the day, irrespective of what happens to you. Including when you're dying. Oh, we have to go there. Um, 
Yes. And where that gets, where I've been struggling with that, with that dying question, Mm. I'm much less afraid. But But what I'm struggling with is this, it's, it's, it's really, it's really bizarre. It's, um, I really think of my life in like terms of utility, like what utility have I, have I brought to the world? Right. Have I been a good man? Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what have I, what, what have I given? Um, and it, it extends beyond like, I know that I've shown up. I'm very confident that I've shown up for the people who I love, like my family and friends. But, but there's this nagging, there's just this nagging voice that that's, that's not enough. Like you have the potential to do more. So that's not enough. And I think that's the, that's where the, the death bed test shows up and 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 if you if i could could i like could i tie that to like mm-hmm. kind of the work that i'm doing and 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 this is a real cause of like internal strife because mm-hmm. i work with a small group of individuals um with different types of coaching and consulting it's just me um and then i have this digital platform where I can write and communicate with one to many. I have a one to one and a one to many. Let's use entrepreneur terms. Hmm. Um, but I, there's something. I think I'm better at the one to one, you know. Um, and you go deep, and and there's like, like real relationships with people. But I still like, I still get always pulled into the one to many. Why? What is the what, what does what is the promise of the one to many? It is. Um, it's going to sound so basic. It's like um, it's a very simple calculation where I literally go through this math in my head. Where if you impacted ten people's lives with like a hundred points of goodness. Mm-hmm. Or you impacted a million people's lives with three. The second one just feels better to me. And so then therefore you can live in a state of equanimity, knowing that you were impactful. And at the time in which you transition, you could then rest. I just yeah. filled in the blanks there, but yeah. does that feel any resonance? I guess it's, you know, it, it's, it's back to that same question of like, did you matter? Right. Right. And, and, and it sounds crazy to reduce mattering into like a A times B formula. Mm. And I know like, I want to, I want to like, the emotional part of me knows that that's just like, it's just not true, but I still, well, let's, let's play with the, let's play with the fearful thing. Yeah. Um, 
Because I think what we're hitting upon is what the true fear is. The true fear may not be of death, but the true fear is to have lived and not mattered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just landed for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I want you to hang out with that thought for a moment. Mm-hmm. Because the fear that we're really working with right now is all of my efforts are for naught. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to take you on a little journey okay. as we talk about this. And the first thing I want to do is I want to read a poem to you by the great poet Mary Oliver. And it's called Lead. Here is a story to break your heart. Are you willing? This winter, balloons came to our harbor and died one by one of nothing we could see. A friend told me of one on the shore that lifted its head and opened the elegant beak and cried out in the long, sweet savoring of its life, which, if you have heard it, you know is a sacred thing, and for which, if you have not heard it, you had better hurry to where they still sing. And believe me, tell no one just where that is. The next morning, this loon, speckled and iridescent and with a plan to fly home to some hidden lake, was dead on the shore. I tell you this to break your heart, by which I mean only that it break open and never close again to the rest of the world. Led by Mary Oliver. So hang out with that for a moment. What occurs to you? What feeling arises in this moment? You know, I think back, um, one of my dad's best friends, uh, who is basically an uncle to me, his kids are like my cousins, are like cousins, even though we're not blood related. And he, he passed almost exactly a year ago, pretty much, uh, from cancer. And I adored him like an uncle. And I was, I was so devastated um, at his death. And the thing that I was, the thing that made me almost equally as sad as him no longer being with us was that I knew that people would forget how amazing he was. Mm-hmm. myself included. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the week after he passed, I would think about him all the time and I would pass, I would kind of like talk to him in my head. And then six months later, you know, someone might, something might come up, like his kids might come up or send me an email and then I think about him and we'd exchange a memory about the time we spent together with one of his kids and a year goes by and like, it's like the thing that I'm most afraid of for myself, I'm doing to someone who kind of, in my estimation, kind of lived the kind of life that, that, that I would want to live. And, and not even in the sense of a, like professional accomplishments, you know, he was, he was a, 
he had a great career, but just in kind of how he showed up in the world to the people around him and to his kids and to his, his nephews, like, like me. And it just makes me sad. I don't stay there. I don't even know. It gets like, you know, and like, in like five years, God, I might not think about him for, for years. And in 10 years, I might, you know, I might never be thinking about him. And yeah, I just like, I just feel like, like we owe him. And this is like, like we owe him to celebrate him and remember him. But it's almost like, not impossible, but it's, it's like life itself, right? It's just like slowly, slowly fleeting. And, and I don't, I guess it just makes me, it just makes me really sad that that's, that that's the case. And, and maybe that's why I feel, you know, that's why I go back to my handy utilitarian math where it's like, well, if a, if a million people were touched by one thing I wrote. Then the death of me and the, uh, I could be assured that I mattered and I was remembered. That I was remembered. Right. And, yeah. So, Mary Oliver says in the last stanza, the last section of this poem, I tell you this to break your heart. I tell you this to break your heart, by which I mean only that it break open and never close again to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And so what she's doing is encouraging us to note the death of a loon and to feel that heartbreak, to be with that heartbreak, to not deny that heartbreak. Because in that journey towards our own passing, towards our own sense of meaning and purpose, to, the, to our own sense of equanimity that comes from knowing that we mattered, mm -hmm. a, a part of that process is breaking open. And so you notice that the impulse in the face of the fear of not mattering is to expand. Let me touch the lives of a million people because the math makes sense, right? The math says, and yet, what was your uncle's name? Suong, S-U-O-U-N-G. And did he matter to you? Absolutely, like blood. And did it matter that he may not have mattered to a million people? Nope. And so there's a false logic here. Yeah. That purpose, meaning, matter, impact is a function of the number of lives that we have touched. And that false logic, I think, is 
an attempt to to ward off the fear of dying and not having mattered, not having um, having our passing noted by the world. Do you? Is that? Is that a? Does that come from like a? place of ego like i know i have an ego of course it does but that but that your question is said as if that's somehow worthy of i don't know criticism yeah of course of course it comes from a place of ego so what we're not we're not air we're not these transcendent beings that don't, you know, if you prick us, do we not bleed, to quote Shakespeare? Of course. What is it that breaks but the heart? And what is the heart but an extension of the ego? But I have a belief system, which is that that, that place that we are yearning for, the, if you were to die knowing that you mattered, how would you feel as you lived? If you knew that you were going to die and you would be remembered, how would living feel? Um, I have two, two things that come to mind. I think I would still nitpick the crap out of living. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I still think I'd be scared. I I like there's, I don't know. I don't know what I would be afraid of like this moment. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't produce the equanimity that you're seeking. (laughs) Touche. Right. So, so building monuments to ourselves, building, immortality in some capacity doesn't actually produce the thing that the ego tells us it might. So let's go back. What you've had tastes of equanimity. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned this before. Um, Amelie's 16 months. How old is Soraya? Uh, four and a half. Okay. What's it feel like when you lift Amelie and you're about to put her into the bed at night? You know, I, I feel I, I don't know because the thought, God, I'm so ashamed to say this. Um, the thought that's going through my mind is, what podcast should I queue up as I hold her mm-hmm. and where are my damn AirPods? Mm-hmm. And it gets worse. It's not even like a podcast for like, you know, like some funny narrative storytelling podcast. It's like, what's the thing to build the thing to build the thing to build the thing podcast. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, what is, you know, there's, there's the utility question again. Okay. What is, so tell me a story 
in which your utility-seeking mind was quiet. Um, so there's, I don't think this is what you're asking for, mm -hmm. but there are, there are times when the constraints around you kind of force that. So like mm -hmm. being in the ocean. Okay. So there you are in the ocean. Being in the ocean, going for a long run, mm -hmm. but they're always, they always come from having a constraint. Like you can't have your phone in the ocean or you can't be working in a, on a run. So you, so what you're doing in this moment is you're noticing the way your mind and your character logical structure need certain constraints in order to quiet. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I still think of those as tastes of equanimity. Mm-hmm where mattering doesn't matter, where impact is not something to be tracked, where just being is. Mm -hmm. And what I believe to be true is that the path to that state lies in allowing ourselves to have our heart broken by the death of a loon. It's not in sorting through and counting the number of people who have listened to our podcast to make sure that we are impactful. But it's a function of allowing ourselves to experience life as it is with its heartbreak, with the everydayness of heartbreak. So that we can, through a sense of our own gravity and resilience, we arrive at a place of equanimity. We arrive at a place where it's okay. I think this is a precondition for being okay with the passing. Because the truth is, we all die. Mm -hmm. no matter how impactful we are. And we may all be forgotten. And that's a reality. Mm -hmm. How do you, like the, <laughs> I'm like, give me the playbook, Jerry. What? Um, I know that's key. <laughs> <laughs> what, what though? What does it mean, though, like if you're to have your heart cracked open, does it in the is that like in the course in the and I don't say this like negatively in the in the mundaneness of everyday life? Is it like the passing of the uncle? Is it like what, what does it actually mean? It's, it's for me, um, it's impermanence. That is the most everydayness of heartbreak. Step outside your house and life changes every single moment. Did, how old is Soraya? Four and a half. 
um, she'll only be four and a half for another three or four weeks. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah. You know, Amelie will, is she walking yet, Amelie? She, she has it in her, but she's not. She will only have her first steps once. And that is reality. And that hurts. And the only reason it hurts is because we are an ego-bound being. So what? Give me, give me a fucking break. I'm a human being. And it hurts. And we... Um, life unfolds and we develop the resiliency to understand that life does not unfold the way we want it to, mm-hmm. moment to moment. Sometimes it does. Sometimes we're surprised by that kind of joy. Mm-hmm. But life changes. And that, for me, is really difficult. And it's only when I can turn towards that, only when I can turn towards the death of a loon and not away from it, that I find myself okay, not inured to, not numbed by, but okay with and accepting of the inevitability of all things falling apart all the time. And I felt that more. So part of the I mean, part of the reason why we moved was like, let's, why wait to do something like this when tomorrow's not a guarantee? And, and there is this calmness to, to a sense of like a willingness to change things and, and be adventurous and kind of like leave your comfort zone. But still, like, how do you balance impermanence with investing noted word choice uh investing in things that you care about like like your kids like the pride you take in your work your clients and i i i I get just like like that like what are they called chinese fisticuffs like i feel feel tangled up because I want to just be in that moment with, you know, whatever, whatever, with whatever kid or, or spouse or, or friend, but there's like a decent chance that I'll be around for like five to 10 years. Like it's not, I, I don't want to say it's, it's definitely, I don't want to ass- assign prob- probabilities, but Um, but there are still ways to like your kid's education or continuing to, you know, how do you balance that? Like, like does being president just mean like completely dissolving every other inkling of a feeling that you have towards any moment other than the present moment? Well, I'll bring your attention to the extreme words that you're choosing because I think you know the answer to your to to the yes or no question that you're asking. And the answer so 
But the short answer to your question is, of course not. But your larger question is, how do you balance that? Yeah. And all I can share is what I have been taught by my Buddhist teachers, which is that while impermanence is, is one of the sources of suffering, it's not, or, or, or one of the conditions of life that can create suffering, it is our relationship to impermanence that creates the internal suffering. When we become attached to keeping things exactly as they are, it creates a kind of suffering. But equally important, when become, we become attached to our perception to how things are supposed to be in the future, it creates an equal amount of suffering. And so the problem isn't that things fall apart. The problem isn't that things are up and down all the time. The problem isn't that loons die and uncles die. The problem is our attachment to nostalgic attachment to the way things were or an attachment to a projection of the way things are supposed to be. And yet the other challenge is, well, how do you make a plan for your children's future if you don't have a belief in how the way things are going to be? Mm. Right. And so how do we car carry all this? And so the word that occurs to me is non-attachment, mm -hmm. right? It's to hold that plan loosely. Now, I'm going to get less theoretical and less esoteric and speak to you like an older brother who also has children, right? I, I have three children who are adults. I can tell you, Right. As a as a as a father, one father to another, you can make all the plans that you want. But these little bundles of protoplasm known as children, they have their own lives to lead. Mm -hmm. And you can plan for what you want. And then one of them gets a stomach virus. <laughs> and you got to roll with it. And you can get angry at them for deciding to have a temper tantrum just as you're walking into Disneyland. Or you can recognize that they're two or three years old and that this is one of the ways that they respond to the excess stimulation of the world. And that this is just what happens. And that stance, to go back to an earlier question, that stance of, of holding the plans loosely and being okay with whatever happens, to me, that's the definition of equanimity. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't plan for the future. It's not that I don't invest, to go back to your word, in the future. It's that I put money away in the bank to invest, knowing full well that the markets could collapse. Now, maybe somebody listening out there will say, well, you should have put it in crypto. Maybe. <laughs> but don't tell me that crypto doesn't ride a roller coaster too. Because yeah. it does. Because all things ride the roller coaster. All things. Is there 
like uh, asking you from a father to a father if you're mm. if you if you are okay. I think I'm okay with the fact that there's a lot that I can't control. That my daughters will most likely be like high volatility stocks. <laughs> um, but is there like having some some type of true like a like a true north that you kind of orient towards will they be kind will they be curious will they be good you know again that's what does that mean mm-hmm. <laughs> is it okay to attach to a general direction or or is that yeah i mean as a as a parent i i wonder if these words will land for you i want my children safe warm and happy it's like my compassion meditation <laughs> that's it safe warm and happy and what i want because i often say this as the root of a lot of what we strive for i want them to always feel loved safe and that they belong Do I hold that with a little too much attachment? Absolutely. I'm a dad. And do I drive my now adult children crazy? Because I'll call them to just, hey, just let me know that you're safe. (laughs) I just want to hear your voice. And is that attachment? Absolutely. I am not attached to the notion that I have to be without attachment. Because I think that by being gentle with myself, I get to model for them what it means to be gentle and forgiving Hmm. to oneself. And I would suggest that the values you would like your children to hold, in order for them to hold them without a sense of attachment, without a sense of guilt, without a sense of shame, in order for them to hold those values, you must hold those values yourself without guilt and without shame. If you truly want them to feel safe, warm, and happy, then you need to be safe, warm, and happy yourself. (laughs) I'm chuckling because I'm... As you're, you know, the, the checklist, you know, the to-do list guy in me is like, do I actually feel these things? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you did maybe momentarily when you're laying in the ocean. Yeah. You did when you were constrained against carrying, you know, having your AirPods and somehow listening to yet another podcast. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you about, like, what do I, like, this feeling of I owe, I, I owe something back because I feel I've been, I've lived such a blessed life. Mm-hmm. What about it? I think the more I try to let go of some of the things that we've talked about, like scaling and growth and all that. And 
you know, take longer walks in the middle of the day with my kids to get ice cream on a Tuesday Mm. at 2 PM. I feel, I feel a lot of guilt in doing that. You know, Mm. it's like, you're okay with not like scaling a business, but don't forget that you're really damn lucky. Mm. And I mean, maybe just answering my own question. It's a, it's just a, it feels like a similar manifestation of the same underlying discomfort mm-hmm. of, you know, did I matter? I guess the, the difference is one is more of uh, inward facing, like, did I, did I do enough? Did I build enough? Did I matter enough? And another is, am I, am I upholding my responsibility? Right. Mm-hmm. The, the, have I done a good enough job not worrying about whether or not I've done a good enough job? (laughs) Have I, have I worked really hard to stay present and been distracted from my ability to stay present by trying to stay present? (laughs) There was a a gentleman once unsubscribed from my newsletter and sent me a a real, like a two page essay. Mm. And he said, you know, like you're, you're a thoughtful, smart guy, but I got to get off this newsletter because I just think you think too much. Mm. <laughs> you overthink things. I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> Well, there's a dog chasing his tail yeah. a little bit here. And, mm. and I think that um, one way to think about that is that I think you do that um, probably to keep yourself safe. Mm. And so perhaps the way to break the cycle is to ask yourself, what is it that I'm afraid of? What's the threat? Um, and I think that, you know, to go back to it, the threat is that you'll have died and you won't have mattered and therefore won't be remembered. I think that um, you can never know actually what forces you've set in motion by your mere existence. And so ultimately you cannot ever be sure that you have impacted the world the way you want to impact the world. You kind of have to um, let go of the need to have it all figured out in order to just actually live your life. I think that's what that subscriber slash unsubscriber was saying in a sense. There's an old line in Buddhism, which is uh, after the ecstasy, the laundry. (laughs) And um, what the teaching is, is that um, there is a release that comes. um, Or another way to put it is, is before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After Mm. enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that you value chopping wood and carrying water enough. Mm-hmm. And even the word enough is a funny word. Um, you may find relief and comfort in valuing chopping wood and carrying water for no other reason than to create a hot bath. 
which is what chopping wood and carrying water is all about, or doing the laundry. Is it, there's, it's like the, is it the appreciation of kind of the mundaneness of life? Is that a fair paraphrase? Uh, the everydayness. everydayness. I, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the word mundane because yeah, there's a judgment. Yeah. Yeah. There's the everydayness. Yeah. There's the, uh, uh, there's something pleasant about folding the laundry. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something pleasant about, um, you know, putting groceries away. Yeah. Just the stuff of life, the unfolding of life. Mm-hmm. Do you, can I ask a question on behalf of, of your listeners? Sure. <laughs> um, there's a path that I've taken, which is a heavy commitment to trying to pull at these things mm. through coaching, through leaving, leaving places, leaving jobs, through meditation, through even cent- recentering your work around this work. Mm. is <laughs> such a ridiculous question, but I'll just ask it. Is it worth it? And I ask that because you could very much take me out of a category of, of business person. Mm-hmm. I think I share many of the attributes, this, this, the psychological suffering mm. of my peers that are still in a world of like high growth entrepreneurship. And, and so maybe it's like, is it, is it the right? And again, there's a judgment in it, but I'll just ask it cause I don't know how to ask it any other way. Is it right to be so, obsessed (laughs) with finding the path or is that in itself self-limiting right you you, you, the 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 dog chasing its own tail um what occurs to me is to just make the observation that um there's a real release and value that comes from simply living the path and not worrying about whether or not you're on the right path. And um, I think that's what you're reaching for, is the equanimity that comes from placing one foot in front of the other and folding the laundry and chopping wood and carrying water and staying awake even while you chop wood and carry water and fold the laundry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to take myself out of the role of being some sort of wise person who mm-hmm. knows the answers and put myself into a place of this. I know has worked for me. 
and that's all I know. Um, uh, and that has made me less afraid of dying. And it has made me more happy with living. Mm-hmm. Which, when I can manage to step marginally away from myself and look backwards, that feels like a good way to live. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think of myself as rest- reckless. I take care of myself. I go to the doctor, which has an attachment to this meat bag called mm-hmm. meat, right? But um, it, when I lay my head down at the pillow at night, most nights I feel, I don't feel that latent, persistent anxiety. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time. Yeah. And I really relate, especially in the last few years, I've had my challenges with, am I good enough? Am I a good enough man? But um, of late, of most recent days, I feel comfortable with that. So I think we've done a 360 in this, in the sense, or one eight, we started with focused on your questions or, or your challenges. And, and now we've turned the tables a little bit and that's okay. We want to hear from the Oracle. Mm, well, give the people what they want. Yeah, I don't know so much about the oracle. Um, I do know that there's a value in asking these questions. Yeah. Um, I do believe that there's a tremendous amount of value in the examined life. Um, and I understand that the examined life can be seductive and it can be a way to sort of draw us in and to no longer live our lives. And I think that, uh, the call to live our lives is as important as the call to examine our lives. Yeah. I hope that helps. Uh, I was just thinking like if, if, if only you could just be my neighbor and we could just have these. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've handed in the manuscript to my book. It's uh, to my publisher and it's coming out in June. And uh, I'm super excited about that. So maybe, maybe in lieu of having a little Jerry next door to you, you'll have a little Jerry in the form of a book. All right. <laughs> that sounds gone right on the nightstand. Thank you, Jerry. It's been a true, it's been a true pleasure. All right. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations and leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision, king of insight. 
I think that from my experience and the fact that I actually found a ginormous piece of myself that had been um, neglected and, and really um, missing for such a large part of my life, that I can't imagine that there's any other experience that I could have had where I would have had the opportunity to find that or have been supported in this way to allow that to, to come to the surface and have that be part of my experience. And so I'm just going to put out there that I can imagine that there are many people who feel like that they've been trying a lot of things and, and looking in a lot of places to find, if you will, the, the happiness or the wholeness that a lot of us strive to find and, and feel. Mm-hmm. And um, there is no better way to be able to find that than to give yourself the opportunity to have the space, have the guidance, have the compassion and the nurturing and all of the resources that, that you would need to, to do this just have the courage to just jump in and, and call this a gift to yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. one that you would never regret. I wish I could tell anybody who's like in that place of they're stuck and yeah. they're tired and they're scared and they're lonely. And you could name a thousand other emotions or feelings. Like I just wish that I could tell them that there is a way to see yourself through that and yes Mm -hmm. you have to walk through it (laughs) and do the work (laughs) and there is something there for you that will bring you the most amazing life that you've ever had are you in the midst of a major life change and feeling alone in the quagmire of feelings are you longing for more meaning in your personal or professional life or are you already in the midst of the turmoil and excitement of a business or role transition The Reboot Quest is a truly one-of-a-kind experience to support startup CEOs, founders, and leaders who are confronted with personal and professional questions that simply won't go away. You'll return with the more authentic self emerging, seeing more clearly your work to be done in the world. To learn more and apply for the Reboot Quest, go to reboot.io slash quest.